0: How many of you like uh, Christmas music? It is finally safe for everybody to say that, right? Um, In 2008, uh, one of our favorite, uh, I guess, artists, uh, Faith Hill, who's a kind of a country music legend, released a Christmas album uh, called Joy to the World. On that album were a number of classic Christmas carols and classic Christmas songs, but also on that album was a new song, It's a song written by Craig Wiseman and Tim Nichols. The title of the song is A Baby Changes Everything. How many of you have heard A Baby Changes Everything before? If you haven't, I would encourage you uh, to add it to your Spotify or Apple Music and listen to it. It's just this beautiful song that talks about how Jesus... Uh, has truly changed everything. First for Mary, uh, imagine hearing the announcement that you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and then really the long-term ramifications of Jesus and what it meant for the entire world. Uh, People past, people present, people in the future. Just this idea that a baby does change uh, everything. Now, if you have ever had a baby in your home, uh, whether you gave birth to that child or someone in your home gave birth to that child or you adopted or you fostered or you had a child through say families, you know that a baby does in fact change everything um, if you're a sibling, that baby changes how much attention you get and how much time you get with mom and dad uh, if If you're a parent, you know that baby changes things about your sleep schedule. It changes things about your energy level. Uh, A baby changes uh, everything. And we know the most significant things that a baby changes don't even have to do with those physical things like rest and schedule and um, when you get to eat versus when the baby gets to eat. Uh, But it's those those bigger things like your perspective on life. Uh, A new child has a way of changing what you value. Um, I I remember anticipating the arrival of our oldest Ezekiel and nothing could have prepared me for the moment when when he was born and something changed in my heart that day. And if you're a a parent, you know what that is like when you get that child home. Again, whether you gave birth to that child or you adopted that child, like, like just something changes in you. And those are the most significant things. Like values change, priorities should change, babies change everything, and we know as we think about even the sentiments of the song that Faith Hill has that a baby changed everything Jesus changed everything not just for Mary not just for Joseph but for the entire world for all of humanity that that we're not talking about diaper changes here we're not talking about you know the rigors of putting a car seat into a car and by the way if you have not done that in a long time it is not near as easy as it used to be like it is a three-hour journey to figure out that seat will fit in your car how to get it secured we're not talking about the changes of um, you know that rucksack that parents have to carry around now that has like 50 compartments with all the tactical gear to care for that child or that grandchild we're talking about how Jesus came and he changed everything he changed what it means to be hopeful it changed what peace looks like he changed how we can be reconnected with the God who made us because our sins separated us from him Jesus truly changes everything. In our series, More Than a Baby, we're hoping to take you on a journey to just marinate in the significance of who Jesus is and how he wants to change everything for you. And to get there, we have to see these far more than a baby. See, what happens typically at Christmas for many people is that we obsess over Jesus the baby. Uh, We we love our manger scenes, we we, we love the the sweet little baby sitting in the manger, we love our, our songs about what child is this, and we love thinking about the baby, but if we're gonna really see the significance of Jesus, we have to move beyond the manger. The manger's important. The humble beginnings of Jesus are important. They're an important part of his story, but they point us to a much bigger picture, the significance of who Jesus is. And in this series, we wanna move beyond the manger. We wanna see that Jesus is more than a baby, that Jesus is, is, is the firstborn of all creation that Tom showed us last week. And today we're gonna to see how Jesus is more than a baby. Jesus is king. He's the king. Matthew chapter one is where we're gonna hang out today. Um, for most of the message, we'll go to a few words of some prophets later on. But in Matthew chapter 1, we'll be in verses 1 through 18. What I hope that you'll see uh, is that Matthew goes to great lengths. Uh, he's strategic. I would probably be better to say the Spirit of God is strategic and inspiring Matthew with doing it this way. God leads Matthew to really emphasize the kingship of Jesus from the very beginning of his gospel, from the very beginning of his record of Jesus' life, he emphasizes Jesus as king. If you were to read Matthew chapter one, verses one through 18, in most English translations, you would never find the word king. So how can I say that uh, a primary theme here is Jesus as king? It's because Matthew includes a different word, and that word is the word messiah or maybe in your version it says Christ. When you in your Bible see Messiah or Christ, they're terms that mean the same thing. They mean the anointed one of God, the anointed king from God. Messiah is kind of our English way of saying the Hebrew, Uh, Mashiach, we say Messiah. Uh, The Greek equivalent to that then is Christ. They both mean the anointed king. That's important because sometimes when we're new to following Jesus, we hear Jesus Christ so often that we begin to think that Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. And there's no shame in that if that's what you felt, but Jesus is his name. It means God saves, and he is the anointed king of God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And four times in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, Matthew refers to Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed king. I want to show you these. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to look at those two other important people in a moment, David and Abraham, but I just want to begin uh, where, where Matthew begins. He says, this is the ancestral record, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the anointed king, the anointed one. Sent from God. From the very beginning, Matthew doesn't hide anything. He says, This Jesus is King. That's significant for a few reasons. Uh, We know that Matthew was writing to a primarily Jewish audience. Matthew was a Jew. Perhaps you know some of Matthew's story. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, he was despised by his own people. He worked for the occupying forces of Rome. He would have been considered a traitor. And Jesus calls to him to come and follow him. And, and Matthew leaves it all be fine, behind. In fact, he really assumes the posture of kind of a vassal and looks to God as his king. Jesus is his king. So he's seen Jesus as king change his whole life. He knows the messianic expectation of his people, that they're anticipating that a king will come and rule. And so for Matthew to say, listen, this guy is it. This guy is the king. And then he traces how Jesus is the king through the line of Abraham down to David, David through the kings leading up to the exile, and from the exile all the way to the time of Jesus to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at verses 16, 17, and 18. As he ends this ancestral record, the genealogy, he says this, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called what? The Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to who? The Messiah. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, who? The Messiah. Come on, you guys can do better than that. Jesus, who? The Messiah. We gotta wake up a little bit this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. As I help people follow Jesus um, in some of the disciple-making groups we're a part of, we'll, we'll read through the Gospel of Matthew. And what I've learned over the last few years is that for some people, uh, this first chapter of Matthew uh, feels a little bit like um a stumbling block, maybe an inconvenience, maybe a speed bump they have to get over, because it's hard. When you get into verses 2 through 16, and you're reading name after name after name, many of those names unfamiliar, or if we have heard them before, we know just a very little bit of their story, uh, it can feel like it, it's somewhat exhausting, and so when we'll recount in our groups what, what they learned from Matthew chapter 1, many times, new followers of Jesus or people that haven't read um, of Jesus' life very much will say, man, I just You can get a whole lot out of Matthew chapter one. But as people journey with Jesus longer and they grow to follow him more faithfully, Matthew chapter one becomes a very treasured part of our faith. Because we see in it not just hard names to pronounce, but the names of people that matter in God's story like we matter in God's story. And names of people that actually help us see how Jesus is the fulfillment of this expectation and anticipation of God's people that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he is the anointed king. He is the one sent from God. Matthew knew that for his people, uh, his people being the Jewish people, that there was a hope that God would send a king and a ruler. And that, that hope was rooted in their history. That's what makes David and Abraham so important. Abraham, if you recall, if you were with us back in the fall, we had a series called The Mission of God, or Missio Dei, we looked at how God has this one mission to bring his blessing to the earth, and one of the places we began was looking at Genesis chapter 12 uh, to see that God speaks that promise, uh, that blessing, the, the promise to fulfill this mission over Abraham. He says that, "'I will bless the whole earth through you. All peoples of the world will be blessed through you, Abraham.'" And so then as Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob and Esau, and then as Jacob has his sons and, and the people of Israel kind of become this, this great nation of, of God's people, they believe that he's going to work out this incredible blessing for the whole world through them. They encounter hardship, they're enslaved, they're rescued from Moses by Moses their own rebellion they have to wander in the wilderness for an extra 38 years before they ever get to the promised lands so they're in the wilderness for like 40 years they get there uh, they rebel again uh, God ends up giving them kings the first king is Saul the second king is David and and David is a man for God's own heart we're told and, and good things happen for Israel under David's reign in fact God makes a promise to David who is a child of Abraham that Uh, one will rule on his throne from the line of David forever. And so if you are a Jewish person, if you've encountered hardship, if you know the tales of horror and difficulty from your story, and you're encountering them even now, and you look back and you hear promises that all people of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, that there will be a king to rule on David's throne, you begin to hold on to this hope that God's going to send this king It's likely that as Matthew's words are heard by his Jewish audience that they're remembering these things about Abraham and David and maybe even some of the prophecies that we cling to at Christmas. Some of the prophecies we love about Jesus uh, that we go to this time of year speak to the coming of the King, the Messiah. One of those is Isaiah chapter 9. One of our favorite portions of Isaiah to read at Christmas is this, Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, pay close attention to verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, This ruler terminology He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish that. We hear this year after year during the Christmas season, but it's speaking of the Messiah, God's anointed king. Another prophecy we read around Christmas is Micah chapter 5 verse 2. If you have trouble finding Micah in your Bible, find the fish story, uh, Jonah, and go to the next book. In Micah chapter five, verse two, uh, we have these famous words. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, Again, these prophecies, God speaks these words of hope over people. Sometimes people experiencing great hardship saying, there's going to come a king. Matthew begins his gospel saying, Jesus is that king. Jesus is so much more than a baby. He is king, which causes me to pause for just a moment and ask the question of myself, and I encourage you to ask it of yourself. Do you view Jesus as king? Do you view Jesus as king of your life? Do I view Jesus as king of my life? Do I allow him to rule over my life? Does he have absolute authority over everything in my life? Does he have absolute authority over everything in your life? Is he king? As you lean into Advent this year, we're two weeks from Christmas Eve. Are you thinking of Jesus as a sweet little baby? Are you thinking of him as a great teacher? Are you thinking of him as a miracle worker? Are you thinking of him as savior? And are you thinking of him as the king, Messiah, the anointed one of God? And it's not just that Matthew emphasizes Jesus as Messiah. Uh, This shows up all over the New Testament. Think about one of the most famous encounters that Jesus has with someone in scripture, John chapter four. He's traveling through Samaria. Samaria. He comes to a place called Jacob's well, as in Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, that Jacob, Jacob's well. While there, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water during a part of the day that was not common. Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman she's intrigued enough by his talk about wanting living water and uh, or giving her living water and uh, she asks about where they should worship samaritans say worship this way in jerusalem jews say worship this way in jerusalem and and she essentially says well when messiah comes he'll sort all of it out he'll tell us everything that we need to know and what does jesus tell her back he says i who speak to you am he i'm the messiah And that woman is changed that day. And she goes back to her village and she tells everybody, I have met the Messiah. The king is here. I have found the king. I'm ready to give my life and give it and submit it to his authority. Will you come join me in that? Peter, Matthew chapter 16 is asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And what's Peter's response? You are the Messiah, you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the king, the son of God. When you read through Paul's letters, one of the most common ways he refers to Jesus is just with the simple term, Christ. Galatians chapter five. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Messiah has set us free. Like even instead of using the word Jesus, Paul again and again just refers to Jesus by the title, you are Messiah, you are Christ, you are king. See, he's more than a baby. He's intended to be king, to rule and to reign over our lives. When we look to Revelation, what's one of our most treasured titles we find for Jesus in Revelation? That he is king of what? What? He is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. Do you know that many of our original Christmas carols were not written about a manger and a nativity? They were written in anticipation of Jesus' second coming. How do you think the Hallelujah chorus from George Friedrich Handel's Messiah became so popular? Do you know that Handel originally composed the Messiah for Easter? In fact, its first performance, its unveiling was at an Easter service in Dublin. But yet, over the years, we began to grab hold of it and say, this is what Christmas is all about. It's anticipating the reigning king coming back. The part of the Messiah that's often shared at Christmas time is the Hallelujah chorus. You know that famous part where he shall, I'm going to spare you, I'm not going to sing it for you, but he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then you kind of have the echo. He is king of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. King of kings. It's the emphasis in the hallelujah chorus. And that's born out of the words of Revelation. He is king of kings and lord of lords. In fact, some versions uh, of one chapter in Revelation talk about how when Jesus returns, uh, he might have tattooed on his thigh the phrase king of kings. He is king. He is so much more than a baby. And as we've seen from Matthew, Matthew, a tax collector called by Jesus who finds new life under his authority, realizes that he needs the kingship of Jesus. One way that I've shared this before not here, um, but in a church I was at in Ohio, I taught a series called Messiah for when life gets messy. Whenever we take ownership over places in our life and we wanna remain kings and queens over our life, we often make a mess of them. We'll make a mess of our relationships, we'll make a mess of our finances, we'll make a mess of our our experience with sexuality, we'll make a mess of, of how we treat people in the workplace. But when we allow Jesus to be king, he, he helps us clean up those messes and that brokenness in our life. We need a Messiah because without his kingship, life gets messy. And we see these stories of people like Matthew who Jesus helped him find order in his life and and leave the tax collecting behind. And we find the woman at the well who lived somewhat of a promiscuous life who finds freedom in Jesus under his rule and his reign. And we find someone like Peter who finds hope under the rule and reign of Jesus. And we find Paul and we find a host of others who are changed by the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. It excites them but we also find others in scriptures who the kingship of Jesus incites fear rather than excite them to transformation and to change. In fact, Matthew shares this with us. After Matthew finishes the ancestral record of Jesus and he tells us about the angelic pronouncement to Joseph, uh, he turns his attention to what happened after the birth of Jesus and look what happens in Matthew chapter two, verses one through three. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, magi from the east, wise men from the east, as we commonly say, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was bothered and all of Jerusalem with him. Not everybody was excited about King Jesus, the Messiah. Some people were disturbed, they feared. It bothered them. We know that King Herod goes on to devise a plan to kill all these children two years and younger because he's so threatened by the rule and the reign of another king. And here's the interesting thing, I still see this play out in my life, in your lives, in the lives of people in our world, is that there are times when we are so excited by the reign of God. Jesus, be king, tell me how to live, tell me how to talk, tell me what to do, tell me how to manage my finances, tell me how to to love this woman or this man in my life, tell me how to parent, tell me how how, how, how to do you name it, entertainment choices, whatever it is, God, you be king. There are times we embrace that and we love it and there are times when we are bothered by it. There are some who don't want Jesus to tell them what to do in any way in their lives. It bothers them. Which are you? Are you one who is excited by King Jesus or are you bothered by King Jesus? Are you excited by the Messiah or are you bothered by the Messiah? Is Jesus King? As we move into the Advent season, is He ruling and reigning over your life? Have you opened up your life to Him and said, Jesus, have your way? Be my king, tell me what to do, tell me how to live, tell me how to spend my money, tell me where to go, tell me how to work, tell me where to work, uh, t- tell me how to behave on the basketball court, on the volleyball court, on the soccer field. Jesus, you tell me, you be my king. Or are we trying to maintain control and rule over our lives? You see, when we come into the Christmas season and we celebrate a baby and we look into a manger, we're looking at something more than a baby. We're looking at the king of the universe, the king of kings and Lord of Lords. Lord. I'm inspired by a practice that the Jewish people have had for centuries. Uh, They pray these daily prayers of blessing. In fact, if you watch uh, the television series, The Chosen, you see these show up in many episodes, either Jesus praying them or some of his disciples praying them. In The Chosen episodes, it typically begins with words like this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who... They're preparing for a meal, They, they who, who provides us with this food. If they're waking up in the morning, there's one episode where Jesus wakes up and he says, blessed are you, um, Lord our God, King of the universe, for allowing me basically to wake up one more day. And they're said before lying down. Now, we don't know when for sure the phrase, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe came about. The earliest written records of we have of it is like from 400 AD, which is obviously like 400 years removed from when Jesus first came on the scene, but what we do know is that those same prayers were being prayed, um, but just with the phrase, blessed is he. Blessed is he who gives me this food. Blessed is he who allows me to awaken another day. Blessed is he who allowed me to live another day and will give me good rest tonight. Blessed is he. And in fact, if you look at the Jewish prayers of blessing, there are blessings for um, smelling pleasant fragrances. Fragrances, they'll say, blessed is he, or blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, for allowing me to smell this. Uh, there their prayers uh, on seeing beautiful sights like rainbows, on hearing thunder. Uh, they even have a prayer blessing of thanksgiving for when they use the restroom. And some faithful Jews will still pray to this day, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. And the prayer goes something along these lines, I should have brought in the full text for you, where it says, because if any of the holes on my body were sewn shut, I would cease to be able to live. That sounds like a good prayer for using the restroom, right? Because it's the truth. Like God has wired and created us and made us in a way that everything functions perfectly. But can you imagine in the rhythm of your day, in the rhythm of your life, when you see a rainbow, when you hear the rain, when you hear the laughter of a child, when you smell the, the fragrance of cookies or, or perfume, if each of those things prompted you to say, blessed are you, Lord of God, King of the universe. Like, we allowed everything in life to prompt us to view him as king. I'm not saying that simply praying prayers of blessing will make Jesus king of your life. What I am trying to do is to borrow and say, like, can we learn from that? Can we become people who try to um, find ways to infuse into our day prompts that point us back to God, to Jesus as king? What would change in your life and my life if we truly treated Jesus as more than a baby every day? We treated him as not just the firstborn of all creation, but as king of the universe. As we celebrate Christmas this season, let's look to Jesus as king Let's take our lives and lay them before him and say, Jesus, where are you not ruling? Where am I maintaining the rule and reign in my life? God, will you show me? Would you even just pray that vulnerable prayer in your journal or out loud later today? Would you make it a daily prayer? God, where are you not reigning in my life? Where can you make him king? Because Jesus is so much more than a baby. He is king. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for your words uh, through Matthew. I thank you, Lord, that here's the beginning of his record of your life. He emphasizes that you are the Messiah, you are the King. And God, that we see this theme throughout the page of the New Testament that you came to rule, you came to reign. And God, would you show us those places where we have failed to let you sit on the throne? Uh, would you show us places where we have made a mess of our lives? So we try to do it our way. Would you foster in us a, a spirit of submission that wants to look to you as king in, in, in every place? God, just reveal those to us and draw us to you that we might find life in you, that we might find rescue in you, uh, the Messiah, the anointed king. And it's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with us?